HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. You're listening to Cutting the Curd, hosted by Ann Saxelby. You're listening to Cutting the Curd, hosted by Ann Saxelby. You're listening to Cutting the Curd, hosted by Ann Saxelby, broadcast live to the Cosmos on the Heritage Radio Network. Good Sunday to you, and welcome to another episode of Cutting the Curd on the Heritage Radio Network. I'm your host, Ann Saxelby, and our show today is being produced by Jack Inslee and engineered by Nat Wiener. Thank you, guys. And our show today is being generously sponsored by Edwards Ham. Their delectable Suriano hams are all natural, made from purebred six-spotted Berkshire hogs. This rare breed is 100% pasture-raised to produce a perfectly marbled meat with just the right amount of internal fat to produce a rich, distinctive flavor. Edwards' product has been featured at restaurants such as Momofuku Sambar, Union Square Cafe, Bubby's Pie, and Murray's Cheese. For more information on Edwards' ham, visit www.surreyfarms.com. So today, I am joined in the studio by two special guests and and, and co-talkers, Patrick Martins and Reed. Reed, I don't know your last name. I'm so sorry. It's okay. It's Harlow. Reed Harlow. Reed is my sister's friend who just showed up at Roberta's today and we were so excited to have him sitting in the studio with us um today's show is a continuation uh of the state of cheese in america our first episode uh featuring uh, the state of cheese was with Peg Smith of Cowgirl Creamery in California. And today we are lucky to be joined by Jessica Little of Sweetgrass Dairy in Georgia to talk about the state of cheese in the great state of Georgia. Are you with us, Jessica? I am. Thank you so much. Oh, thank you for being on the show. Um, I'm, I'm so pleased to meet you over the phone. I feel like I owe you a, grat- or a debt of gratitude because uh, uh, Veronica Pedraza, who is now a very good friend and an ex-employee, uh, kind of turned me on to your farm um, because she used to work with you guys. Oh, she was great. I wish that she could have tolerated the hot weather better. <laughs> <laughs> She's she's from Miami, but she loves Wisconsin. So yeah, she ended up moving north. Right. Um, but uh, so I was I was hoping you could uh, give us a little introduction to Sweetgrass Dairy and tell us a little bit about how you guys got started and what kind of cheeses you make. Absolutely, we are in South Georgia, about thirty miles north of Tallahassee, Florida, and my parents 
uh, were conventional dairy farmers, had about 2,000 Holstein cows in freestall barns, and my dad, after about 15 years, said there has to be a better way of farming because the cows were so miserable and they were working themselves to death. So in 1993, they sold that dairy and started over in a New Zealand rotational grazing style farm with about 500 jerseys. And from that minute, my mom saw this golden yellow rich milk and it just tasted so much better. And the cows were so much healthier that she said, gosh, we've got to show people how great this is. So they, um, she started playing with making all the different dairy products and out of you know, milk, yogurt, butter, ice cream, cheese was by far the most creative, the most artistic, the most scientific, the most inspiring. And um, so she then just started making cheese in our kitchen. And we kind of tease her that by the time that I went off to college and both of my brothers were about to go off to college, um, we say that she had empty nest syndrome and needed to have something to fulfill her time. So when I went to college, she talked my dad into building a cheese plant, and originally it was just going to be cow's milk, but our property is about 140 acres, and um, the cow dairy is about 30 minutes from us, and she was going to bring cows here, but it was perfectly suited for goats. So now we are milking about 200 goats and using milk from about 30 cows and um, have been doing it for 10 years. And it's just been an amazing, fun, um, rewarding opportunity for Jeremy, my husband, and I to come back to the farm and be involved in something like this that's really changing the way um, Southerners, the way that we look at cheese and, and American cheese and food. So. Well, that's that's really amazing because I feel like a lot of the um, a lot of people that I talk to, there's a big generational gap between the parents and the kids. um, Sometimes with regards to farming and how they want to run the farm, so that's that's pretty amazing. I feel like it's very difficult for people who have been milking cows their whole life to make that leap to becoming cheesemakers because that's a very hard transition to make. I mean, uh, kudos to your mom. That's fantastic. No, they were amazing. And I have to say that, you know, we tell that we have so many people visit that want to make cheese. And we were so fortunate. It was like all the stars just lined up because my mom is such a great visionary. But she was so passionate about animals. That's her background with animal science. And so she really did all the work to understand about goats and what they needed and the cows. And And then my dad is a great farmer and knew that in order to produce the best milk, you have to start with the dirt and the, you know, balancing the microorganisms and really making the grass as healthy and nutritious as possible. And then Jeremy is an amazing, he was going um, to culinary school or getting ready to go to culinary school and just really loves food. So he was perfect for making cheese. And I love people and talking and spreading the word. So I was good at marketing. And so we just all kind of fell into these, Places And I think so many people get started, and it's so hard because it's one person trying to do everything. And we were just really, really fortunate to have four really passionate people doing very different jobs. Absolutely. Absolutely. No, uh, it is an incredible amount of work to run a farmstead cheese operation. Um, Well, I was wondering, are are there any kind of native cheese traditions in Georgia uh, before kind of the artisan movement? Well, the, you know, really no. But the South, what most people had a Jersey cow, you know, several gener- you know, a couple generations back. Everybody had a Jersey cow, and they made, you know, a quick farmer's cheese. Everybody had buttermilk was really, you know, the big thing. 
And so there's not a long tradition of cheese in the South. We don't have caves to age our cheeses in. Um, so this is really new for us. I mean, the very first time that we sent samples to the Georgia Department of Agriculture, um, you know, we were the first cheesemakers in Georgia. They called us right away and said, you've got to call us right back. We found mold on your cheese. And um, they were completely, you know, flabbergasted that there would be mold. Um, on a ready-to-eat product. So it's um, been a very interesting um, growing relationship with the Georgia Department of Agriculture, but it's just been educating consumers that, you know, about natural rinded cheeses and kind of European traditions. But we our, our goal is to make something that the South can be proud of, you know, that, that we can make great cheese in the South. And um, you know, we're very, very fortunate because we never get any snow. So we don't even have any barns for any of our animals. They can be out on grass 365 days out of the year. And that's a really great advantage that we have being down here. You know, the disadvantage is, is that it's people didn't grow up eating great cheese, so um, we're having to educate and um, really teach people about different flavor profiles and and things. Well, that is such an important part of the job, and I and I remember um, uh, reading an, an email that you sent to me that uh, you worked in a cheese shop um, for a little while, um, and that must have provided some pretty good insight about people's you know level of of knowledge and maybe. I don't know, did that even influence the, the, the decision of what kinds of cheeses you guys decided to make? Well, sure. You know, it's, it's really interesting. People ask us all the time, why don't you make your goat cheeses more, you know, goaty? Or why don't you make your... And it's so funny because we're like, well, we make them the way that we like them. And so they really are an expression of our palate and, and what we want to evoke or what we want to show people of the characteristics of our milk. And... Um, when I decided to work in a cheese shop when I was in college was when my mom had, was getting started with this, and I kept thinking, she is crazy. This is just, it's not going to work. I mean, there was nobody do, doing cheese. <laughs> so, and I thought, gosh, she is really, I mean, she really just must be bored. And so um, I was like, maybe there's something more to this. And I had traveled to Europe a couple of times and remembered how great the cheese was. I just didn't know that we could do it, you know, cheese in that tradition, you know, like that here. And so I started working in cheese shops, and we were getting, you know, I had never tried Vermont butter and cheese, you know, cheeses or Cypress Grove or um, Judy Shad's Capriole. And I was just blown away at how wonderful all these American cheeses were. And, um, and I think Jeremy was the exact same way. And when we moved back in 2002 and started making cheeses, it was just, it was so great. We were eating more cheese, I think, than we were selling because we just couldn't get enough of it. And um, so, yes, I think that a lot of what we like and what inspires us is, you know, what encourages us to make the different cheeses that we do. And what are those cheeses? Um, what are the range of uh, cow and goat cheeses that you guys produce at Sweetgrass? Well, we really get in trouble because we have, in our portfolio, we make over 20 different types, but not all at one time. So wow. um, we have both cow and goat's milk cheeses. We make fresh, you know, fresh shoves and fresh cow's milk cheeses. But then we also do, our most popular is called the Green Hill. It's a double cream cow's milk with a white bloomy rind, similar to, I'd like to be in the same family as a brie. We make some soft-ripened goat's milk cheeses, some with grapevine ash, some with um, local organic pecans on the outside. We've got some aged 
natural rinded Pyrenees home style goat and cow cheeses. And we also make blue cheeses. Is That's Jeremy's big passion. He loves blue cheese. So we do cow's milk, goat's milk, and mixed milk blue cheeses. Wow, that is that's an impressive uh, that's a really impressive range, and um, so how and then how do you guys uh, distribute your cheeses? What's uh, how did you guys tackle that? Because being in what, well, yeah, what's your biggest market? I guess, and how do you guys distribute your cheeses? Sure, Atlanta is our biggest market. Um, we're about four hours south of Atlanta, and um, that was really great for me to be in college in Atlanta working in cheese shops because then you know I was it was easy for me to get the cheeses in there when you my mom was in. first starting. <laughs> and um, so we started just in Atlanta and shipping direct wholesale. And then, um, and then we worked with a couple of different distributors and um, Atlanta Foods International is by far our biggest account. And they handle you know, like the Whole Foods and kind of specialty stores and restaurants. And they pick up here right off the farm. But otherwise, if we're shipping up to New York or Chicago or San Francisco to our smaller distributors, then we'll ship it by Delta Air Freight. Okay. Okay. And um, what was I going to say? I mean, that's uh, that's a pretty big, um, yeah, it's a big challenge, I feel like, for cheesemakers to decide how to get their product out there, especially fragile um, product like yours. Do you have any advice for other cheesemakers who are trying to figure out how to get their fragile cheeses to market? Well, I think it is a, a very difficult challenge because not only is it to you know take care of these very delicate living cheeses, but also the logistics just provide so much cost. I mean, it's just so expensive to get your cheeses into other markets. So what I would really hope in the future, you know, we were the only cheesemakers in Georgia for so long, and people would say to me, other cheesemakers from other states would say, oh my gosh, that's got to be amazing, especially from Vermont. People would say, that's so amazing, you have no competition. But I think that this year we'll actually have seven different cheesemakers um, in Georgia now, and I think it's really great because the more awareness there is, it seems to be that the more demand there is. And I'd really like to see Georgia create a Georgia Guild or something like they do in Vermont or California where we can consolidate our cheeses and make pallets because we're so small we can't produce a whole pallet to put on a truck to ship up to New York, but it would be really great if we could consolidate it with other Georgia cheesemakers and get it to Washington, D.C. and get it to New York and so that people can try it and see what wonderful things we have going on down here. I think, yeah, a rising tide floats all boats is my is my constant mantra with this American cheese uh, movement, just because there is so much opportunity and there are so many people in in this country in all parts. And, and most of them, once you give them a taste of something delicious made from, you know, uh, a real working farm um, or a local farm, they're completely hooked. And so I think uh, uh, and, and cooperation with logistics is probably one of the biggest uh, biggest hurdles that everyone's facing now what else is big i mean are people in uh what else is big in sort of georgia food what else are people into locally what are some of the other exciting things going on in georgia agriculturally well i think there's been a big movement of um pasture raised pork you know we have a great area to raise pigs and um lots of acorns and so i see more and more people that are doing pasture raised pork, and um, I haven't seen anybody do any sort of salamis or cured pork yet, but I think it's coming. And then um, you're starting to see 
I think in the beginning there was only a couple of little breweries, and now we're seeing breweries outside of Atlanta, like in Athens and Savannah, and and some really great um, other foods being made like that. And of course, we see lots of you know pecans and peach jams and chutneys and kind of things that Georgia's known for. But you know, Georgia's been a really kind of difficult state for small farmers to work in. It's a very big business-friendly state. We're one of the big chicken producers, and so the legislation hasn't been very friendly to small producers up until relatively recently. So um, I think you're going to see more and more great things happening in Georgia. Well, that is fantastic. Well, we have to take a, a quick break, um, but uh, just a minute or so. And when we come back, I'd love to talk more about uh, the, how that legislation, how those regulations are being changed by pioneers like you, and uh, what else is going on with some of these festivals and cheese guilds. So stay okay. with us. We're back on Cutting the Curd on the Heritage Radio Network. I'm your host, Ann Saxelby, and my guest today is Jessica Little, uh, owner of Sweetgrass Dairy in Georgia. Um, so, Jessica, I was wondering if you could um, tell our listeners a little bit about what your relationship is like with your dairy inspector and how it went from them freaking out about you having mold on your cheeses to actually cooperating with the dairy that's making this array of um, interesting European-style cheeses. Well, it's been a long journey, and I think that the best way is to um, really be open to what the government is trying to say, because I know entirely too many cheesemakers that get very defensive and, you know, try to lock their doors when, you know, inspectors come in, and, and it's, you know, they can always find something wrong. I mean, if you look with a microscope, you're going to find something wrong with everywhere, and so, you know, our inspector is really, really great. He's very tough, and um, he's probably not someone that we would hang out with because <laughs> he's not the most fun individual, but we, he really he listens to what we have to say. He wants to understand where we're coming from and why we want to do things the way that we want to do them, um, and then he will take that back to his bosses and say, okay, look, this is what they're trying to do, and a great example of that would be when we first started, they would not let us age cheese on wooden shelves. And the reason for that was they said wood uh, promotes bacteria growth. Well, as you know, the aging process in cheeses, I mean, you can get so much flavor development in just the, the aging process. And they wanted us to age on either stainless steel or food-grade plastic. And we just didn't feel like we were getting the depth of flavors that, you know, we 
could if we were aging on wood. So, and just the, the benefits of having wood for like moisture, like draining out of your cheeses as they're just made and beginning to dry. There are tons of benefits to having, to having wood. Right. And so every trip that we would go on, um, we would visit other cheesemakers and take pictures of their aging rooms and showing them wood. And, and so we'd come back and, and show our inspector, look, there's you know wood on these shelves. And it wasn't until about two and a half years ago that they passed the legislation to let us start aging cheeses on wood. And, um, and so I think that you know, as with any government um, you know, entity, they're very reluctant to change. But, you know, with being cooperative and really just kind of stating your case in an intelligent manner with a lot of research and, um, you know, just being open with them, then I think that they've really, they, they've listened a little bit. I, I don't want to make it sound like they're really easy to work with because they're not, but um, we've come a long way. And I think that our relationship is, is that our inspector is looking out for the people's safety, and honestly, that's what we want to. So if he's looking out for the public safety, we want to look out for the public safety, but we also want to make the best cheeses that we can possibly with still thinking of public safety in mind. So we are not microbiologists by any means, but we definitely try to do the best thing, and if he has got the resources to test for pathogenic bacteria and knowing, you know, what he knows, then, you know, I hope that we're all working on the same team instead of against each other. Absolutely. And, you know, part of the the beauty of cheesemaking is, of course, all those microflora, you know, that, um, and the whole raw milk debate and all of that. It's like, I don't know if these products are being produced in a responsible way and the animals are being cared for in a responsible way and everything kind of makes sense down the whole chain, then you're producing just a natural product where everything's kind of in balance. Um, do you think that there's any hope? Um, I guess this is a broader question, maybe more of a national you know, question, but do you think there's any hope of getting the raw milk rules relaxed? Um, where, where do the raw milk rules stand in Georgia? Oh, honestly, no. I don't think we're ever going to see raw milk rules relaxed. Um, Georgia is pretty strict. We they have tried. Um, they put a couple of bills up to sell raw milk off the farm, you know, just for pet consumption, and it will never pass. Um, I'm well, at least not with our current um, people in place. I think, like in Tennessee, Florida, and South Carolina, you can buy raw milk off the farm for pet consumption, but. Um, not in Georgia. They're very, very strict. And I think that Georgia would be so happy to outlaw any raw milk cheese production if, if you know, they could. Now, you know, we and, just, and why is that? Is that because there is such a dichotomy between big business, like the chickens you were saying, and, and sure. small farms? Or what, what's the reason well, behind that? I think so. I think a lot of it is that, um, I don't know if you remember, but about a year and a half ago or so, there was a bad salmonella outbreak in a peanut processing facility here in Georgia. And after that happened, I mean, there were people that died and got sick all over, and it was negligence, and there were birds in the rafters and, you know, just really bad problems. But immediately after that, it was like a witch hunt. The, the inspectors were coming to all small producers, and we had chickens and guinea hens and ducks, and, you know, we collected I mean, we didn't sell the eggs. We collected it for our family in the morning, and we had to get rid of all of it, and they tested every single batch of cheese for salmonella, and it really was pretty frightening because we thought, holy cow, what kind of, you know, protections do we have 
ourselves, <laughs> you know, from the state just coming in and, you know, seizing whatever they want. And, and it was because I think they got so freaked out about the whole peanuts and salmonella and just didn't want any more problems. So we kind of took a proactive approach and we decided to, um, while we're developing our HACCP plans, to go ahead and before every single batch of cheese is released, we send off samples to an independent lab in Virginia, or it's actually the Virginia State Lab, and they test for five different pathogenic bacteria, being E. coli, Listeria, Salmonella, stuff like that. And so we have results on that before the cheeses even go out. And by showing them that we're being proactive, and that's not a, you know, requirement or, I mean, there's very, very few cheesemakers that do this, and it costs a ton of money, but by showing them that we are trying to be responsible and and make clean, healthy products that we're not being negligent and letting, you know, people go out and handle the chickens and then come in and package cheese. So um, it's definitely been, I, I personally don't ever see raw milk standards lightening up. If anything, if you talk to, like, um, the raw milk cheesemakers guild and um, like Alice Burchanoff from Sweet Home Farm in Alabama, who's amazing. I mean, it's a struggle to keep them from not outlawing all raw milk cheeses. So, yeah, it's um, I I don't know. I think that's that's a really smart approach, though. I've talked to other people, including um, you know Rick and Helen Feet from um, Meadow Creek Dairy and mm-hmm. the folks up at Jasper Hill. And I think this whole idea of cheesemakers kind of implementing their own HACCP plans and their own um, safety precautions, um, kind of preempting in a way any anything that the FDA might hand down to you. It's just so smart because um, you're, in, in essence, you know, protecting all of your product before they could find issue with it. I think Patrick has a question. I have a question. It's a little off topic, um, but it's about goats. So uh, since you're from the state of Georgia and goat has a G-A in it, like uh, for the short <laughs> state of Georgia, I was wondering if you could do a shout out to the goat. I'm kind of ask, asking this for personal reasons because I found out the goat is my power animal. <laughs> um, so, But I'd love to know, like, what is so great about goats? Tell us what breed you have and celebrate the goat on behalf of all Georgia because it's such a great animal, but no one really knows goats. <laughs> well, you are so fortunate to have the goat as a power sign, I'll tell you. <laughs> no, goats are amazing. They actually... Um, in intelligent testing, they test almost as smart as a dog. They're very trainable. Um, they love people. They're very personable. We have uh, mixed breeds of La Mancha, which are very curious, mischievous goats that don't have any external ears, so they have tiny little elf ears. So they're very cute. And then we have Alpines and Sonnens, and um, they are the neatest animals. My, We've looked at the numbers in our budget, and if we really just wanted to make money, if that was our sole goal, well, one, we wouldn't be cheesemakers, but two, <laughs> we would um, only have cow's milk cheeses because there's so much better margins on cow's milk cheeses and just the volume of milk that they produce. But we have four young boys, and it is the best place to raise kids. You don't have to worry about goats hurting you, or um, and they can get out there and be involved, and the goats want to be around you. You can stand at the gate and call them, and they'll come running. Um, they're just amazing animals. And uh, so, if people want to buy goats, they should always buy two, right? Because they don't like living alone. Is that you're true? You're absolutely right. They are 
definitely herd animals, and they will be so sad if they're by themselves. I think that's actually the worst punishment you can do to a goat is put it by itself. Aww. So, so sad. Well, you I guys know. have, what, 200? So they're all happy. They are very happy. Very happy. Well, speaking of your little kids, um, one of the other issues that I'm trying to cover with all, you know, every cheesemaker that I talk to um, is, you know, sort of the idea of succession planning, because uh, a lot of the cheese renaissance that we're seeing um, is, you know, it's still in its first generation. And I feel like people haven't necessarily given it too much thought yet. But to have all this beautiful cheese continue, you know, it's going to be important to think about what happens to your farm down the road. Do you, so do you guys have any um, sort of thought like that in, in motion? Mm-hmm. Well, you know, no. Our, our children are pretty young. We have our oldest is seven and our youngest is six months. So we are just trying to survive. <laughs> and, and four boys. But, um, you know, if they want to come back, I think it would be amazing. And I think my parents have definitely, this was one of, I can honestly say that's probably one of the greatest benefits that they've seen from starting the cheese business is that my brothers and I, none of us wanted to be farmers, and um, my dad comes from a long line of German dairy farmers from western New York, and met my mom at the University of Georgia and came down here, and just, I think he kind of maybe always assumed that one of, one of us would get into the dairy business, and when we didn't want to do that, you know, it was a complete shocker for him, but by making the cheese and you know us coming back and I have a brother that went to college in New Zealand and ended up marrying a girl from New Zealand and they just moved back here and they're making this natural beautiful cream top yogurt and then my middle brother is in charge of the specialty department in Whole Foods is really really great that we're all sort of involved in the business um, in different ways and if our boys want to come back and do it I think that we would be tickled but there's so much of the world to see first I want them to go out and experience things because there's just, you know, there's something really special about South Georgia, but you can't appreciate it until you leave and come back. That's so true. That's, well, you guys, you guys must be awesome parents because that's, that's the best philosophy I, I've, I've heard. Um, well, we're almost, uh, actually, we're almost running out of time, but I did want to talk to you just a little bit about, um, you know, sort of festivals, events, cheese guilds. Where can people get information about Southern cheese and uh, what, are, what are the, you know, sort of nascent movements to promote Southern cheese? Well, sure. The, um, there's a great um, Southern Cheesemakers Guild. It's www.southerncheese.com, and it profiles lots of different cheesemakers from Virginia, North Carolina, Georgia, Alabama, and a lot. Most Southern cheesemakers are very, very small, and just like the six of the seven Georgia cheesemakers are all farmstead and. Pretty much everybody sells at farmer's markets or right off the farm. So, you know, I think that it's great to seek out great cheese shops. I mean, if you're probably your bigger cities like Birmingham, Atlanta, um, Charlotte, North Carolina, all will have great cheese shops that really feature and focus on southern cheeses. Um, Otherwise, it's really great to see, um, you know, you can go to Murray's or artisanal.com and see um, Meadow Creek Dairy or um, Formagerie Belf Chev or Sweetgrass Dairy, you know, and you're seeing it on these national things. So I, I think it's really exciting. We don't have any big cheese festivals at this time. We do. There's two events in Atlanta that try to, you know, bring in great 
cheesemakers and restaurants, um, one being the High Museum Wine Auction in the spring and the La Dame Piscassier Afternoon in the Country in the fall. And there'll be cheesemakers from all over and, you know, paired with different wines, Georgia wines or, you know, Southern winemakers. And it's a lot of fun. But I think that we'll only see more and more events like that pop up. There's not a particular one at this moment. And don't you guys have a, a special event at your own farm? Do you guys do a, a, a sort of open house for people to um, come and learn about your farm and, and cheese? <laughs> we do. Veronica must have told you the mayhem. Oh, um, yes. <laughs> <laughs> it's, uh, we have open houses. And like this year, we have our big 10-year anniversary um, blowout that's going to happen in early November. And so we invite different Georgia wineries to come and sample their wines. And, you know, we have great bluegrass music and have respect the pig, you know, barbecue. And just, it's a good time. It's a lot of work, but it's a lot of fun. And it's been great to see, you know, people coming from Hilton Head and Plant City, Florida and Jacksonville and St. Augustine to just to come to the farm and see where their cheese is being made. So, we're hoping to have a, a great festival this fall. Oh, I'm sure it'll be great. Well, yeah, Veronica told me funny stories about people um, sampling the cheese and really liking it and being like, cool, so where do you get this cheese from? And and she pointed to the cheese make house, and she was like, oh, you know, right over there. We make it right over there. And they're like, no, really. I mean, where where do you get the cheese from? And d- them just, like, not even being able to wrap their heads around the fact that, you know, th- there's, awesome, you know, great cheese being made in their in their very own oh, backyards yeah. <laughs> absolutely and you know it was so funny the first couple of years that we went to the american cheese society conference it was the same thing but it was like cheese makers like cheese in georgia is that possible <laughs> and we're like yes it's a great <laughs> place to make cheese um so, so it's just not a traditional place to make cheese well if people want to learn more about sweetgrass dairy where can they find you guys on the internet or um yeah what other information can you give us so our listeners can track you down and taste your cheese oh i hope so it's um www.sweetgrassdairy.com so you can order directly off of the website or there's a page where you can see different retailers in the states and or you can call us and find out where you can get it in your area who are your biggest buyers um, mainly Atlanta, like Whole Foods, the southeast region of Whole Foods, and then um, small uh, wine shops and cheese shops in the south, for sure, our biggest areas. Very cool. Well, thank you so much for being on the show with us today. Um, we have unfortunately run out of time, but I don't know, maybe one of these uh, Novembers, Patrick and I can swing down to Georgia and, and, and head up for farm days and eat some pig and eat some good cheese with you guys. Oh, we would love it. We Please. could exchange goat jokes. I have two. I'm well, looking for more. I love it. <laughs> oh, well, thank we you so much it. again, Jessica. And um, we will be back next Sunday with a new state uh, for State of the Cheese on Cutting the Curd.